We're in Lent, and we follow through the life of Jesus quite often during Lent. It is a very serious time, a somber time in many ways, uh, in terms of what were the work that we're to do in Lent. And so last week we were at the Mount of Transfiguration. For Lent, we back back up to the temptations of Jesus. And so I want to read from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. And I'm sure Jesus today would say, Men and women don't live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me so I can give it to anyone. I want to give it to anyone. I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve God only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So if you know the story, we've just had the baptism of Jesus. This high moment, Jesus has this baptism moment, the voice speaks to him, you are my son, I'm pleased with you, and then Jesus gets driven out into the wilderness and gets put into this time of temptation. I would tell you this is not happenstance. In fact, it's an imperative of the life Mark even talks about, when you read the the story in the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't talk about the individual temptations, but he talks about Jesus going into the desert. And and, and it says the Spirit drives him out into the Spirit. And the word that's used there is actually a word of violence. Throws him out, thrust him out into the, the desert. And so there's something about this that Jesus has to do. God's Spirit is driving him out. You've just had the baptism. Things are good, but now you've got some business to take care of. Jesus is very conscious now of his unique vocation in relationship to God. I mean, you've heard a voice. Give me a break. You know that something's unique going on here. But Jesus now has to figure out, what does that mean? What do all these things mean? And he has to begin to set aside any and all unworthy interpretations of what that baptism meant. You could be pretty arrogant after that, couldn't you? I'm the son of God. I'm loved. I'm special. Very quickly, he could have been doing some things that perhaps were not intended. So he has heard the voice, you are my son. With you, I'm well pleased. And now he hears another voice. If you are the son of God, Jesus has to decide whether the second voice or not is also of God. Is it from that same source? Three times he hears that voice, and three times he decides that the voice prompting him to act is, in fact, not the voice of God. Jesus, in the desert, faces the real temptations of life. Not to do something immoral or or antisocial. That's often what we think about. 
but the, the real temptations of life, the strongest temptations of life, to do what appears to be good by allowing the appearance of good to usurp truth, to seek good ends by means alien to God's character, and to test God by seeking a shortcut to success. When we think of temptations, we often think about the decision to do good or bad, do we not? Oh, I'm tempted to eat too much. Well, I did last night, I confess, the ice cream. It is, it is Lent. We didn't have to have the ice cream, and the second bowl was probably really out of line. But anyway, that's what we think about, isn't it? Those good or bad things. When the bad appeals to kind of the baser elements and emotions of life, you know, uh, go back for those of you old enough, that song by the hombres, John Barleycorn, Nicotine, and the Temptations of Evil, right? Or, as my father used to say, I don't smoke, chew, drink, or run with women who do, right? Those are the kind of things we think about when we think about temptations. We make them the base things of life. But the real temptations of life, the life-determining temptations, have nothing to do with these kind of things. In fact, these lesser things, these immoral kind of base kind of things, are really just symptoms caused by the fact that we have been failures in dealing with the greater temptations of life. Those things around character, those things around heart, those things around what it means to be a person in our own personhood. The real temptations deal with how we view life, how we live life, how we will, will we develop and express that unique human being that each of us is and we're created to be, and how we relate and how do we see our fellow human beings. The temptation is to grapple with life itself, it is to make choices about how much of life we will live and how fully we will live it. It is the decision of will we be true to the self that God created us to be or will we deny the God-given person we are that we lose ourselves for ourselves and for others. The reality is all of life is tied up in these kind of temptations, these kind of choices we have to make and they do not come to us accidentally. It wasn't an accident. Jesus just didn't wander out into the desert, get lost, and end up not having food for 40 days. This was purposeful. This was something that was essential to being Jesus, being who God had, had, had made him to be, who he was. And so, will we be that person? Those are the kind of choices. And again, they don't come to us accidentally. But like for Jesus, they come to us as a very part of what it means to fashion a life in God. We find in the temptations that Jesus incurred the hardcore issues of life being exposed, the issues of self, the issues of integrity, the issues of how we will relate to the world around us. In Jesus' temptations, we find the universal and eternal challenges to life. Dostoevsky said, these, said this about these three temptations. In those three questions, the whole subsequent history is, as it were, brought together into one whole and foretold, and in them are united all the unsolved historical contradictions of human history. These, were, these three temptations are essential. They're really determining what life is. They are profound questions for Jesus, and they are profound questions for each of us that we will be asked and hopefully we answer. And on our answers hinge the very nature and fulfillment of our beings. 
So Jesus is driven out into the desert. I like to say it this way, and let me be a little, probably, those of you who are really theological, let me get by with this a little bit. So Jesus is driven out into the desert to grow up. What kind of person will Jesus be? To discover who he is in his own character. This is not an optional experience, as I said, for Jesus, as it is not for us also. There is something essential in this process of temptation and decision-making, of course-setting, if you will, that is central to all of us. Temptations are not destined and not designed to bring us down, these kind of temptations. When managed properly, they actually can help us soar, achieve and be who we are, who we were created to be. So as Jesus begins to determine his path, his destiny, the tempter comes to him and says, "Um, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, got a shortcut for you, Jesus. Listen, you can satisfy your own need right now, and you're going to dazzle others. They're going to think you're wonderful. So look, it's a a win-win, Jesus. So if you are the Son of God, surely you can do this. John Bunyan, in his allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, describes a road called Bypath. Hopefully you know what Pilgrim's Progress is. Uh, Christian, you know, it's total allegory, of course. Christian is trying to find the road to the celestial city, and he's been put on the straight and narrow road. Uh, and, but it notes in, in, in Pilgrim's Progress that Christian keeps seeing this road called Bypass, And Bypath always had, a quote here, always had a look of being shorter, simpler, a more natural road, a road which for a long time ran alongside the right road, which nevertheless, after a night's journey, had so diverged from the true road that you could not see the one from the other. Shortcuts sound wonderful, but where do they take us? Those of us who are of the nature that we do not stop and ask for directions, but always have a shortcut, know that they can take you in some strange places, and then you have to pretend you wanted to be there, right? How much shorter and simpler it would have been for Jesus to turn stones into bread, to create subsistence and even dependence, versus declaring the challenge of the Word of God, the call to authentic life. The people would respond in greater numbers and much more quickly to the idea of bread. This reminds me of that that scene in Superstar where Judas near the end sings, Why did you choose such a backward time and such a strange land to come? If you'd have come today, you could have reached a whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. God, isn't there an easier way to do this thing called life? Isn't there an easier way to engage in this way? Jesus, the people want bread. They will follow you for bread. There is absolutely no guarantee they want to be fed the word of God. In fact, some evidence that maybe they don't. Jesus knew the people needed bread. He had grown up in that region. He knew what was going on. He knew what it meant to be poor and oppressed. And here's a shortcut to getting what everybody wants. But oh, the snare in that shortcut. Jesus could have made enough bread to bring economic justice or at least full bellies to the world, but we all know it wouldn't have lasted. Ultimately, the world's problem is not a lack of bread. The real issues of the world are greed, prejudice, hatred, privilege, self-centeredness. Without changed hearts and minds and without these traits being dealt with, 
hunger would simply reemerge. If a shortage of food was the only problem in the world, there would be no hunger today. Food is plentiful. We store it, we stack it so high at times in our nation that it becomes a burden to the economy. It is so lucrative that corporations have now decided over the last few decades that we've got to get into this business. You can make money doing this. There's a lot of this stuff called food out there. So if the real issue, the issues are to be addressed, we are required to wrestle and grapple with the core challenges of life. The problem isn't we all need to plant another garden, that we need to take some shortcuts rather than facing our fears our hurts, and even our failures, our unrealized potential as God's creations. You know, we have our little prejudices, our little, our little self-centeredness. They don't matter much. You know, our, our little things that we keep and we don't really bring out in polite company, and, and it's okay for me to feel that way. It's okay for me not to really share. That's all right. You know, uh, uh, it, there's enough other people that will do it. And what those shortcuts do is we let ourselves off the hook from dealing with the real issues taking shortcuts and not dealing with the real issues of life, they make us less human. I do consulting with nonprofits and others uh, on occasion, quite a bit, too much. Uh, uh, Gail says I flunked retirement, so uh, maybe I did. But everywhere I go, when we start in a consulting gig, I always say the same thing at the beginning. Look, there's no three easy steps to solve your problems. If there were, you wouldn't call me. And secondly, there's no silver bullet. We all want three easy steps. We all want a silver bullet to solve all the issues of the world. They begin in us, dealing with what it means to be a human being, living in a world of other human beings, being what it means to be a child, a creation of God. Only the presence of God's flowing love, his love flowing through us, will bring a true economy of bread in our world. Only our changed hearts, our changed minds are beginning to value people over ease will make those things go away. We cannot find a shortcut, a bypass, other than challenging our own heart. We need to embody active love, forgiveness at the center of our lives. We need to live it out. We need to share the world's hurt and suffering if we are to bring life at all. In other words, we're to follow Jesus' example. Begin where we are and move as Jesus did. That the world's problems could be solved with morsels of bread would be wonderful. But as you look at Ukraine today, and you look at hearts like Mr. Putin, you know that bread isn't going to solve it. This is evil, folks. And evil has to be dealt with. But it begins with me dealing with those little evils in my heart that I get so comfortable with at times. Jesus said, yeah, I'm the son of God, but you know what? People don't live by bread alone. And so a second temptation comes and offers Jesus all he needed to be successful if he would just do things the tempter's way. You know the game. A little something for you, a little something for me, and we all go away happy. All Jesus needs to do is give up his real identity. Just compromise a little. The Son of God thing sounds good. You can go ahead and keep that title, but let's try things my way. What is this Son of God stuff going to do for you anyway? might get you killed. Maybe it did. Does this really matter for how you get your ends? Isn't it okay to do it as long as you get what you want? Be one of the guys. Come on. Don't worry about this truth thing. It's not everything it's cracked up to be. You'll have a better life. 
Jesus recoiled at this offer, we know, because he realized that to lose himself, his identity, was to lose everything. What would Jesus be? What would he have ownership of and authority over with God's creation if he got it this way? If we are nothing but the kingdoms of, uh, of the earth and all the people are nothing but bargain chips that you can move around like a used car, identity matters. God's identity as creator, as loving, as patient, as long-suffering, as relationship-centered matters. Jesus' identity as God's son, as God's child matters. Living in that character that we might see how we can live, our identity matters. As beloved children of God, can you perceive yourself in that way? Loving God's creation, who you worship, who you follow, who you are matters. We are the children of God. We are not chips in a poker game to be passed around or things to be bartered. We are precious children of God, just as everyone else is. And that's the way we should be living. And so Jesus said, no, it says worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, Dylan had that song when he had his little kind of religious bent here a few decades ago, the song, uh, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. You know, who you serve doesn't matter until it does. And it matters when we start dealing with each other as human beings and we start dealing with our own lives. It matters. And so Jesus says, worship only the Lord your God. The final temptation is one like the others. You're beginning to get the pattern here by now, are you not? Uh, tempts Jesus not to be him true self. Uh, play to the crowds, Jesus. Uh, be the rock star. Please the gallery. It's a great way to live. They're going to love you as long as you have a bigger trick up your sleeve. That's always the challenge with playing to the crowd. You can only impress me so long with the trick. You know, next week, I don't, I don't think I impress the kids, but next week you're going to have to have a bigger bag of Lent. And it can't be Lent. It's got to be something else. Play to the crowds. Be that rock star. It's easier and it feels good. But is it fulfilling to live this way? It is not real. And it's not in sync with who we are in our identity as God's children. You know those deep down dreams you have? Those inner compulsions you have to do good, to be yourself, to really be who you are and believe that somehow that's enough and it's okay to be that? Those are the truest measures of what it means to be the child of God, to do what God wants in your life. There is danger in trading our lives for trivialities, for fortune, for fame, ever how big or ever how small, no matter how grand it may be. They all sound good in the desert doing those things, but they just don't play out in life. We lose ourselves. We see Jesus' example in the desert. His life was enough. He didn't need to fake it, didn't need to do tricks, didn't need to change who he was. It was enough, just as you are. You are a creation of God with all those gifts all that ability, and everyone around you and everything around you is saying, no, 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 be something different. We would like you to be like this or like that. Try the shortcut. Dazzle people. We are tempted often not to live our lives, which is the very thing that I believe the world needs. That's why God put you here. We're tempted to take the shortcut, to surrender to all those other things, to lose ourselves. 
and therefore lose the greatness that God created within us. We have the ability to make a difference in this world, in another human being's life, when we are ourselves. Temptations are present. If we yield to them, will keep us from becoming those precious people God wants us to be. This is Lent work. This is what Lent is about. Tackling those hard issues. Who are you? Who are you in relationship to God? If you are a child of God, well, why don't you do this or that? Lent is the time when we answer those questions. And we say we are or we are not. Here's the good news. Jesus blazed the trail to authentic life. His example, his help is available to us as we battle the temptations. He has forged the way before us. We don't have to tilt at windmills. We can be ourselves. We can follow Jesus. See his example of what it means to be a child of God and to live authentically in this world that he's put us in. Amen.